Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson. Today's guest is Dan McKenzie, professional off-road racer and motorsport coach slash instructor. Welcome, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Who's, um, yeah, thanks so much for coming in for one thing, but uh, who's Dan McKenzie? Uh, basically, um, I've been around motorsport uh, my whole life and, and absolutely love going fast and love what I do. Um, and at the moment, I'm, I'm a professional off-road racer, so I, I run a team and manage CMS Racing Team. Uh, we've got a couple of trophy trucks in the States, um, as well as we've got a couple of pro buggies in Australia and UTVs. So I'm more into the four wheels now than, than the two wheels. It's a crazy sport at the moment, hey? It's going through like a huge growth cycle internationally, hey? Oh, exactly. You know, we um, we come into it with the side-by-sides um, and they they were just growing like massive and it's brought off-roading to a new level. It's it's pushed the the whole off-roading scene to, a, to the next level and we've evolved from side-by-sides uh, to now pro buggies and trophy trucks. Uh, so being able to race trophy trucks in America is, is pretty cool. That's like the uh, optimum in that sport, isn't it, really? Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, it is the only true unlimited form of racing. Um, it's unlimited. Whatever you can do in the States, just whatever you can do, whatever you can dream up, you can go as fast as you want, big as motor you want, and uh, one of our trucks over there has got 1,300 horsepower. Damn. So it's just whatever you want to do, but you, you've got to make it finish. It's an endurance sport as well. Wow, so so you could have like a seven litre up against a twin turbo three litre or something, just whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in the States, yep. um, one of our trophy trucks got a, a 600 cube big block in it. Wow. So it's it's not a toy. American um, muscle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's about 1,100 horsepower, that truck, yep. uh, pushing 40-inch tyres. So it's, it's, it's an absolute weapon. But our new truck that we've just bought is an all-wheel drive truck, and that's a twin-turbo 454 small block. Ah, right. Um, so that's the real deal, that thing. But with all this COVID, we haven't been able to go over there and race it, so it's sitting over there waiting for us. So the 600 cube, obviously, that's naturally aspirated, hey? Yes. Yep. So the small block, twin-turbo. Yep. And what's what's the desired one? Would it be going to the small block with the two turbos? Oh, uh, definitely the, um, the all-wheel drive truck is yep. the latest and greatest. Like... Uh, basically, that's that's a million Australian dollars. It's wow. it's not a toy. It's no. the the real deal. Um, it's probably the fastest off road truck in the world. One hundred and sixty one mile an hour top speed. That's one hundred and sixty one mile an hour. <laughs> so what's that? Two hundred and thirty five k's somewhere. Uh, around that? Yeah, around the two fifty. Two fifty. Yeah. Well. Wow. Um, off road and it'll go over knee to waist high, high bumps at you know 120 mile an hour um, without even feeling a thing and it's all wheel drive so it's the latest and greatest so yeah. it's it's pretty cool we we can't wait to get back and and race that. So how how does it feel in the passenger seat or something like that? Like is it just like you've got adrenaline for one thing and you've raced bikes and cars everything? How does it feel in the passenger seat? So for for a passenger, it's it's quite daunting. The first time you jump in a, a truck uh, with a driver that knows what they're doing, uh, we sort of you, you know you might be hitting a few few bumps and stuff. Yep. But as a passenger, the first time you, you you're seeing something come up at 100 mile an hour, and you just like brace yourself and you tense up, and you're just like, oh, this <laughs> is going to hurt. And then you go through it and go, shit, I didn't feel a thing. Wow. And then as you start to get more and more comfortable with it, you start to go, like, you know, you're going faster and faster and you still get beat up, you know. We still get beat up in, in these trucks, you know. There's been times where I've um, 
like you know felt like I've been pissing blood. Wow, that's that's how bad you you still get beat up with some big hits. Yeah, so, uh, it's it's pretty intense. <laughs> it's a crazy sport. Like it, it's it's yeah, it's just a speed off road. Like from the outside perspective, it's a crazy sport, hey? Oh, it's it's it needs way more exposure than what it's yep. got. Um, unfortunately for the sport, it's not spectator friendly because you're going out in the middle of the desert. Um, you know, it's hard for, for film crews and all that sort of stuff to, to get footage. Mm. Um, it's awesome for the drivers and, and it gets a lot of following, but it doesn't really get the exposure it deserves. When we race Mexico at the Baja 1000, you know, we're racing for 30 hours straight. So we jump in the car and we've got different drivers. So we go through our sleeps and our, yeah. all our stuff. Um, but you're pretty much running on adrenaline the, the whole way. And the intensity of this sport is is crazy and people don't understand. Like we wear a catheter, so, you know, we're going, you know, really? we, we don't get out of the car for 12 hours. Wow. And, you know, you're sort of driving along and you, you do your pee and you tear your food off the roof and try and get food whenever you can in like a little short transport stage and, and you're into it. It's, it's hardcore. That's, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't... Same thing. I'm an outsider. I don't know much about that sport, but that's um, yeah, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. So what, <clears throat> Baja? What, what's it like? Oh, Baja, Mexico is amazing. Yeah. You know, the media sort of um, tell everyone that Mexico is so dangerous and all that sort of stuff, and obviously it is. You know, you play with the wrong people and you know go there and mess around with drugs and and all that stuff. You you probably end up in the cartel's hand, and it's yep. all pretty pretty you know, doom and gloom. But when you actually go there, it's a beautiful country down the peninsula, the Baja Peninsula. So the people are really welcoming welcoming, uh, welcoming, and it's got such a massive off-road following. That race brings millions and millions of dollars into the, that community every mm. year. So they need that money to survive on. And, you know, we're going through towns and, and in our team we've got 25 people in our team um that's for for one car that's for your car yep and you know we've got to feed those people and we stop at a little town and and we're we're buying them tacos and food and we're spending money in the town and and there's 300 odd cars with 20 people per crew it's just massive the the extent of it is huge Mm. um so you know and then there are remote stages where we'll jump in the car and and you know we've got a hundred 120 miles of nothing no support if you break down or you're done out there or something goes wrong you're there for days (laughs) (laughs) so obviously when you pre-run you pick those sections where you can push the car you pick the sections where you you know you're obviously going to save the car and reserve the car um but you can't go at 100 percent that whole time because your concentration levels will just sort of go through so many range of emotion yeah so yeah, it's it's but it's amazing. It is awesome. The people are awesome. I love it. I can't speak highly enough of, of that race. How do you push yourself for thirty hours? Um, well, it's it's a tough one. You sort of we you know, your lead up is important to me, you know, with, with our diet and our rest and all that sort of stuff. So yep. we get a house on the beach in Mexico where we sit there and try and relax. We'll we'll do our pre run, we'll go back to the house. Um, and we'll sort of sit around, have a few drinks and spar and sort yep. of relax and chill out a bit. And then we'll do our pre-run section again. And and then the lead up to it is is where it's important because from the, the time the, 
you know, the flag drops and we're going, you're just running on adrenaline. Mm. And to be in the chase car, so uh, I've led the race out a couple of times and then I've done the mid and then I've finished the race. So I've done, you know, different sections of the race, you know, throughout all of the races we've done there. Uh, but to lead the race out, you know, you're going to do the first 300 miles, um, you know, which is just under 500 kilometres, um, and you, you just run on adrenaline. Then you jump out of the car and you jump in the chase car, and the chase race is just as exciting as being in really? the race car. Yeah, like we've got our chase truck. We've got a brand-new F450 over there. Yeah. And you sit in that car, and we're, we, we might be asleep in the back trying to get rest, and, you know, we're sitting on 82 mile an hour because that's as fast as the, car, <laughs> the chase truck goes <laughs> just through the desert, through the roads, and it is insane. The chase is just just as fun as the race. Holy crap. And probably more dangerous too. There's yep. more people that die from the chase than the, the actual race. So I guess you've got 300 entries all doing the same thing too. Yeah, that's They're right. All doing, trying to do the same path. Um, is the chase, And this might sound stupid, but is the chase car the same car you do your pre-run in? No, no, you we pre-run in in a like a just a stock can am. Oh, really? So we've got yeah. a, a stock can am that we pre-run. We put light bars, we put all our seats and all that stuff in it, um, yep. and we run our GPS because everything's navigation. Um, so we run a Lorant system, and then we put all our notes, and we we pre-run in in a um, pretty much a dead stock can am with our King shocks and yep. BFG tires. Um, and our control arms that we use, our Lone Star control arms, and then we just go for it. And we've done two laps around Mexico, you know, like 2,000 miles, didn't miss a beat. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, didn't do one belt, no tyres. And, wow. And our pre-run pace on our second lap was probably faster than our race pace. Wow. That's a bit of a testament to the can -Ams. Oh, it's amazing. They are, they are an amazing car, you know. They're, they're yep. so much fun. So They're affordable and... And, yeah, it's taking off-roading to the next level, having a car of that, that level. Come a long way, hey? They have. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. Like, because um, you used to do, you used to have a Yamaha, what are they called, a YFZ1000 or something? Yeah, YXZ1000. So, yeah, I was factory Yamaha yep. Yep. Uh, when they first come out. They got released um, because I was always, I've been with Yamaha for over 25 years. Yep. Um, as a professional coach and, and racer. Um, and then the YXZ come out and because I was an instructor for rally school and track school and a professional driving instructor as well, yep. they sort of said, oh, we need your help to, you know, teach the dealers how to drive and sell these things. So they put me on full time to, to travel the country and teach the dealers how to drive, how to sell and how to... And I'd sign the dealers off if they were safe enough to deliver the information yep. that they could do their own test days. So then that led into racing and I did the whole Australian Side-by-Side -side Championship, um, won about five rounds of that Australian Side-by-Side -side Championship, uh, which was, was pretty cool. Um, and then they, they sort of just ran out of money yeah. So when they ran out of money, I, yeah, my, my whole racing, everything, the world fell apart. It, it seemed like it. But uh, lucky enough, Brett Kamiski, which, you know, the te our team owner now was there and we become good friends. And he said, well, come and race in America with me. I need you to set my cars up and help me out. And, and then from there, three years later, I'm working full time racing and, and building cars and prepping and team manager and controlling yep. sort of a, 
a team here and a, a team back in in the states. Because you're you are that's that's your whole thing now. Hey, you're yeah. a team manager. That's yeah, the, yep, pretty much. And that's a hectic time. It it is. You know, like as as the manager, yep. I get the blame for everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, we're not perfect. I might miss um, you know, like the last Don River Dash we did. I I didn't take some tables and a couple of lights because I was too busy working, concentrating on the car, and yep. I copped it for that. But <laughs> just simple things. Yep. Um, but yeah, being a team manager, it's it's an important role to me, and and I I just I'm passionate about it and put my life into it. So yep. Therefore, it's it's just I've got to make it work. And having that competitive nature, like being competitive, I'm not going to race unless we're going to win. So yep. I'm going to come up with angles that are going to give us an advantage that help us out and and piece everything together. And I believe, you know, 80% of off-road racing is in the prep in the garage mm. before we actually get to the track. And I guess that's where you see a lot of DNFs. Exactly. Yep. You know, like, yeah, we can have DNFs from driver error, um, which we've probably really in all the races uh, in the States and Australia, we've, we've really only had one DNF to driver error. Yep. Um, all the rest are mechanicals, you know, like bolts coming loose because there's not enough Loctite or we're not talking them or, you know, they they just become complacent. You know, mm. the, the prep guys just become complacent and it's like, ah, she'll be right, that doesn't matter. Where we fly in and, and we're onto them and, yep, make sure this is all good. And, you know, like cable ties, rubbing on wires and hoses and stuff is... Just is, basics. ...is what's going to put you out of the race. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. It'd be such an interesting thing, especially having a team over there, because you're not in control of that. The other three hundred and whatever days of the year, oh yeah. No, no. So we we do all that by by phone, yep. you know. So we talk to the team over there. We've been through a couple of prepping people, um, companies that do our prep. Um, so we've you know we've come up with a, a pretty good team that we're yep. all happy with with our car prep. Um, and they're really good over there now at the moment. So we can we can ring them and say, hey, you know, what's the go with this prep? Um, you know, we had it. I've, I've got pages and pages of, of database of all our settings, our results, you know, clutch settings and, and everything. So yep. I can refer and just go, hey, run this, we'll send it through and they go set it up for us. Pretty cool thing to have. <laughs> like that's huge, mate. Like coming from racing Yamahas in Australia to having this, it's a pretty pretty grand scale, isn't it? Uh, the the scale is just insane, you yep. know. Um, to to race the Mint Four Hundred mm. with two trucks, uh, we've got Brett Comiskey in in his truck in the thirty four truck, and then uh, that's a, a Brenthal, and then I had a racer engineering, which was was you know still a four fifty four small block, still a, a crazy built motor, um, and I raced that truck. So to have the two trucks side by side. Yep. Uh, at the min 400 was was amazing and we raced the day before in the UTVs mm-hmm. um, so we we done our 400 miles in the UTV went home had probably six hours rest um, and then straight into the trucks the next day and <laughs> did another 400 miles come Monday you'd just be destroyed yeah for sure mm-hmm. um, there's been times where I, I've, I've got a pretty good relationship with my my um, osteo, he's he's pretty cool. <laughs> so I go and book in at least once a month and get a tweak and a, a yep. bit of a back straighten because 
people think, oh, yeah, with age, get a cage. You know, you just sit there and drive yep. uh, coming from two wheels. Um, <laughs> it's not really like that. You still get beat up. Yep. Um, yeah, we, we party and have a, a pretty good time, but it's still a, a, an emotional side of it where we have to concentrate mentally for, for that distance. And it's still a lot of work behind the wheel. You're not just holding the wheel straight. You know, there's a lot going on as well. Yeah, that's right. Yep. You know, so so having a navvy that you really trust mm. um, is is important as well because yep. they're they're on the GPS and and we're driving, and then we just really have to trust everything they say because the dust is insane. You'll come up on a car and you'll spend at least forty minutes trying to get behind get past a car. Um, and 40 minutes at race pace is a long time where you can't do anything. You can't go offline. You're driving in the dust within half a metre of what the GPS say. So he's on the GPS. There's a little bit more left, straight, 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 straight over crest or tight over crest or whatever, and they're all running off the GPS, and we're doing 80, 100 mile an hour. Far out. Zero visibility, like distance from me to you purely just a, a computer screen just the net lowering screen yep. trusting the screen uh, but what you do have the advantage of over in the states is if you run wide it's it's safe most of the time yep. um but in australia you run wide and we're into trees mm. um so you know but that's still the case when you go into rock gardens and sections you can still wad the car up pretty bad but you really trust your navigator in the states um, yep. Where racing in Australia is just so, it's it, it needs to step up, you know, to that level. They go great in the tracks and they make the tracks really smooth. Where over the over there, the tracks are just that rough that sorts the men out from the boys. Mm. Uh, where you know we did a race up here and someone complained the tracks rough and then next thing you know the graders out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like flat track. <laughs> yeah. So no wonder the the UTVs and and that are winning everything in Australia. They're beating half a million dollar trophy trucks and and pro buggies because the tracks are so smooth and tight. Um, they're, they're really tight. It's not a, enabling the high-spec vehicles to get in their element, is it? No, definitely not. We, yeah. you know, when we're driving pro buggies, no, we want the track as rough as we can yep. um, simply because that'll sort out someone who knows how to set a car up properly yep. and knows how to drive and preserve the car. You know, we won the Gundawindi 400. Uh, yeah, there were some faster cars out there, uh, but they went out and broke, mm. you know, and, and DNF. So you can't win if you, you don't finish. Say something like a Baja or, say, Parker 400 or something, you've got a mix of, you know, some slower sections, obviously faster sections at some point. How do you set, like, suspension in every form of motorsport's the biggest thing you've got? How do you set a vehicle up like that? Yeah, so basically with the team, I specialise in setting the cars up. Yep. Um, and I work really well with and do a lot with Brett King, the owner of King Shocks. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, so virtually every K&M that you buy with King Shocks has got my settings in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like we've, we've developed them to the next level. Um, so to set the car up, to answer the question, to set the car up for that, it's, it's tough, you know, because with off-road, you look at bumps, um, then you look at speed. So it's like frequency sound waves. Yep. So they go up and down and there's no set bump the same. Mm. So if you go over a set of bumps at meter, meter like spacings at half a meter high at 60 mile an hour, yeah, the car might be nice. 
But if you go over there at 40 mile an hour, the car's going to be terrible because it's going to fall and land in them. And then sometimes, you know, if you go over there at 100 mile an hour, you won't even feel a thing. But to have that confidence of not having the control of, of the car and the car's just skating skating and, and yep. so loose, it's it's tough. Yeah, it'd be one of those things because it, it's, um, it is. It's the fundamental of every every motorsport is suspension. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Suspension's everything. Yep. And oh, I'm lucky enough from all my days of riding motorbikes, uh, I worked really well with uh, Ken Wheeler from Factory Spec mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger and we'd travel the country racing and, and we were always into suspension. So both Ken and I, and Ken was, he loves suspension now. So, you know, even back then we'd pull a shock apart. No, nah, it's not quite right. Bang. And, you know, we've always had really well set up bikes from yep. attention to detail and spending the time back then. And all that knowledge from two wheels has traveled over to, you know, the, the four wheel off road thing. And it's, I'll treat these uh, buggies and trucks as um, four wheel motorbikes. You know, you set Makes them sense. up accordingly and you drive them accordingly as well so you know you might even you know use seat bounce techniques mm-hmm. um you know as you would on a motorbike you can do that in a car just by braking and accelerating at the right times to get the cars to unload and jump straight and stuff yeah right so, so the, you've adapted a lot of it oh everything comes from yep. two wheels a hundred percent you know the two wheels uh yeah the, the motorbikes and off-road um motocross and all that has helped me so much so where did it all start for you? When did this crazy motorsport career start? <laughs> um, for me, I got a motorbike when I was four or five, a yep. Peewee 50, um, and I joined uh, Blackdown Mini Bike Club in Sydney. So oh, I see grew- you from Sydney? Yep. Yeah, I grew up in Sydney. Um, so I was with Blackdown Mini Bike Club till I was about 12, Yep. Uh, just doing club stuff, motocarnas around witches hats and all that stuff, yep. stuff, which we don't see any of that in Australia much now, do no. we? like fundamentals yeah yeah there's no grassroots coaching there's no anything really crazy it's just jump on a motorbike and go flat out around take your logbook yeah get a logbook signed that's all it is now isn't it you you miss out on the fun a lot of the fundamental things like that yep Mm. so yeah that was till about 12 years old and then at about 12 because my my dad owned a a Midas muffler store yep um and then at about 12 i got into racing cars one of his one of the guys that dad sponsored uh was into racing cars and he said i'll bring your son out and have a drive um so we went out had a drive of his race car um and that was that was John Boston. It was it was his race car at the time, and that car was actually a Datsun twelve hundred coupe that raced in Bathurst. Wow, really? Yeah. So it was a real deal. What a history that is. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to drive that car, and and I went out there and won my class first day ever. And nice. Next thing you know, my dad goes and we we bought a a um, Mitsubishi Factory Works rally car. Yep. Uh, which was a nineteen seventy four GB Galant. Yep. Yep. And um, then just started racing cars from, you know, from about 12 to to 20. And I was heavily sponsored, going pretty well. You know, we used to race against the guys like, you know, Warren Luff, yep. you know, and like some, some big names doing all, um, you know, the club car register around Australia, yep. which was pretty cool. And then it got to the point where my mum my and dad separated and we ran out of racing budget uh, ran out of sponsors. We couldn't afford to race, so I thought, well, I'm getting beaten by people with a lot more money. Mm. I only go back to two wheels. Go back to um, motorbikes. So at about twenty, 
I, I had a few years off, um, travelled yep. around Australia on XR600s a couple of times. Nice. Uh, did some big treks, which was, was pretty cool. And then at a, when I was about 22 or something, um, I went and, and seen Husky Imports, Stefan Appelgren from Husky Imports, and, and I rode, did one race on, on a Husky. And um, then I ended up riding for Husqvarna for quite a few years. Yeah. And then in about 98, I went to Yamaha. Nine, 98 or 99, I went to Yamaha with the, the first YZ400 and the, the YZ426. Yep. So I rode for MacArthur Motorcycles, rode all the, you know, the New South Wales Championship stuff, um, rode the Thumping Hats. And, yeah, I used to do quite well with that, but it just got to the point where working and because I was living by myself, yep. it just financial drain was just too much and and then I, I just become a, a full-time coach. Wow, so you went straight out of coaching. Yeah, so because I couldn't really afford to race at the level that I wanted to race at and yep. and win, and I had a few wrist injuries and stuff from from crashing as <laughs> as we do, um, and then I it, it sort of evolved. I got asked to help a few kids out, yep. and I've always loved helping people out. And my whole career, I've I've helped more people out, um, you know, and and lots of pro races at this point. So my whole career, I was helping people out, and then. Uh, when I did a, a coaching, got my level one coaching license yep. with Lyndon Heffernan and Stephen Gall, and Gawley turned around and says, uh, okay, well, do you want to come work for me? And then next thing you know, I'm full-time, not full-time, but coaching yep. a lot, like 30, coach, 30 coaching schools a weekend, a, a year, sorry. Oh, wow, yeah. So 30 weekends a year yep. uh, for Gawley and then and, and Heffo and you know, getting more and more bike time and that's how I've become a, a coach for, for so long. And, yeah, yeah, so I own the Queensland Academy of Off-Road Riding f franchise. I, I leased that off Heffo for a few years yeah. um, and did lots of stuff with Chris Urquhart. Like I spent my whole time building his business up, uh, Chris, like YAIM when they were YAIM mm -hmm. and, and, and all that stuff. And, yeah, I've done... You know, lots with Moto DNA, so road bike schools. Is that uh, Mark McFay? Yep. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So I met Mark um, at the AIS. I used to host the AIS Elite Rider Camps Yep. Uh, for all the, the road bike riders, you know, like Troy Herfoss and Mick Kirkness, all those boys have mm -hmm. been to our Elite Rider Camps and become friends with those guys. Um, and then, yeah, met Mark at a Level 2 coaching school course so yep. he come along wanted to become level two so we taught him signed him off as a level two and then he said come work for me so i've just been working for all these different mobs yep. as well as doing my own stuff for a few you know clubs that i deal with now hey what a career it's very it's like you go through have a look at anyone that's watching have a look at through your instagram and have a look at this you've ridden you got an mt10 here then you're racing off-road over here you've done some stuff mate Oh yeah, it's it is pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, having opportunities at one coaching school for Moto DNA, they brought out a brand new R1M. Mm. So we're sort of lapping around on an R1M, and just to get your head around the electronics yep. is is insane. Uh, I'm not the best road bike rider in the world, but I can get around pretty handy. Yep. Um, and then you know you jump on this R1M with all the electronics, and you just throw it into the corner, and it's got lean angles in. The, the, the Yamaha engineer at the time just said, just hold it flat. It's all good. <laughs> and to get your head around that from being an old school rider where we like to control, you can 
you know, like you like to slide the bike in from the supermoto days when we raced yep. supermoto. Um, and to tip it in and hold the thing flat and the bike does everything for you and you, you're actually going up over the hill 20, 30k an hour faster than, than when you're driving it, riding it manually. It makes no sense in your brain, does it, when you ride those? No, it's it's crazy. Like your brain to hand, that sort of relationship just disappears. Yeah, once you get that, I think. Yeah, I I think it evens the rider ability out a lot for sure. Um, the electronics is is leveling the the playoff playing field. Yep, and I I think to to me, and this might sound a bit backward, but I feel it's like great in the track. Yep, like what you said about that with the um the off road racing, having. The scale of electronics now for, for things like that is like grading the track now. Exactly. I, I agree. Like I love the electronics. Yep. I love the data. I love analysing stuff and making it better. And I realise that it is part of it. Mm. We, that's that's what it is now. That's what that's, racing is. It's, it's gone to that level. Mm. But now it's almost, at, at, you know, in MotoGP and all those, that it's almost like the best engineers are winning the race, yep. um, not the actual best rider. Don't get me wrong. All those guys can ride motorbikes. No doubt. Yep. Um, there's no denying that. But it's coming to the point where the best engineers, the, the, being an engineer or a team manager is becoming the most important role of a team nowadays. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, yeah, and, and now having communication for MotoGP to the rider throughout the race, Yep. like choose this map and that, I... <sighs> I see it, but I just don't understand. I understand it. I just don't see why they should do it. It should be back to the rider. You know, you've got an allocated 22-lap race. You need to manage yourself to get through that 22-lap race. Don't say that, you know, Mark Marquez is coming up behind you. Yeah. Figure that out. <laughs> He's going to see you pretty quickly anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. It's it's the way all sports have evolved. And, you know, we, we can't hold back. It's the mm. way it is now. And, and, and I do agree but it's just the way it is. We're yeah. not going to get rid of it. It's what no. they're used to now. So now you just got to go, hang on, that's what the rules are. Let's make it better and yeah. work out ways to do it. And mm. and creating that excitement of, hang on, we need to sit down in a, in a team meeting and say, how do we win? How do we go better? Mm. Is involving more people than just the old school rider when, you know, back in the day it was just the rider that did everything. Yep. Barry Sheen would wander out with a cigarette. It's yep. just me now. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, like we'd, we'd sort of go out and have a lot of fun and yep. and the the night before a Thumpernats race, you know, we, we they were the best years of racing ever. Yep. You know, the, the late 90s um, were, were such fun years. We'd have fun. Everyone would sit around. Everyone share their information. Oh, yeah, you know, you pull your forks through a little bit, it'll steer a little bit better and you just, you know, you'd help yep. the young guys through. You'd help all the learners. Mm. Now there's none of that. It's like people tell you the wrong stuff nowadays so you don't have an advantage. Mm. Um, so I believe the sport's just gone to a new level like that. Yeah, just just turn that screw a little bit more, isn't it? Yeah. Tell me about Thumping Nuts. What was it about? What was it like? The the Thumpernats was was amazing. We had our state championship. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I was one of the front runners in all the state state rounds. Yep. Um, MacArthur Motorcycle Club, I won the club championship, um, I think, 96 or something. So was this still on the Husky at this point? That was hus for Husqvarna, yep. Was that a 250 Husky? Uh, no, a Husky 610. Oh, yeah, right. So yeah. I was I was young and fit and, yep. and um, healthy back then, so I was probably 70 kilos dripping wet on a wow. 70 horsepower. <laughs> 610 Husky. <laughs> yeah. So the bike that I had was actually um, one of... 
Daryl King's race bikes. Really? So cool. I got handed that down from, you know, like a, a stock 610 to yeah. one of their old old race bikes. Yeah. And that thing was a weapon. Like it was one of the proper Thumpinats bikes. And uh, that bike was amazing. You know, it was just, it was so good. It was, yeah. you know, left-hand kickstart, so you really had to adopt techniques. <laughs> uh, but I could just come around the corner and wind that thing on and overtake anyone. <laughs> wow. So you're talking 70-plus horsepower. Yeah, that was a that was a real deal, that bike. What a weapon. Yeah. So you went from the 610 Husky into Thumpinats on the 400. Yes. What was the 400 Yemi like? That was the first year of the – second year probably the 400 Yemi. What was that like at the time? Yeah, so the 400 Yemi, um, yeah, I converted over from Husky to, yeah. to Yamaha and MacArthur Motorcycles um, give me a bike. So I started to race that and, yeah, we, we started to, to go fast and, yep. and we, were, we were always up there. I was, I was always there and, and I spent my whole career traveling with Ken Wheeler and we did the whole circus. It's like a circus. All the yep. pro riders, everyone would just sort of travel around. You'd meet them at towns and, and um, you know, that was fun. That was fun racing. Yep. Yeah. I don't think – you know, it's anything like that now. There's too much restrictions. It's too, oh, the tracks are too slow. Oh, yeah, you're only allowed an 18-metre tabletop. Yeah. Um, where back then it was anything. I, I remember uh, doing some racing and, and I used to be pretty good at, at getting hole shots and starts. So one year I, I got 13 out of 18 hole shots. Nice. So, yeah, it was it was pretty good, pretty <laughs> cool. But we, we just hit stuff flat out. You yep. know, and it was fast, it was really, really fast tracks. Now the tracks are so governed that, mm. oh, yeah, you can't go fast. You've got to bring your average speed. The average speed of a track now is only allowed to be about 40 kilometres an hour. Mm. So they have to introduce a lot more tight stuff. And, you know, if you're an old school style rider like us, we might have not have the best technique. We'll sit over the back of the bike a little bit more um, because we're sort of going faster and it wasn't all tight and mm. finesse, like really finesse. Um, they were they were fun races. Mm. They they were honestly the funnest races when we could go real fast. And you got a seventy horsepower bike to go fast on. That's a weapon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where was that? What they have thumping at? Condoblin was always a big one, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, was it I, not, no, yeah, we Condoblin? we oh. sort of no, we never really did Condoblin. We did. Um, we did a few at Appen. Uh, mm-hmm. We did um, Geelong, Melbourne, yep. um, Conondale in Queensland. That that was an awesome round. Conondale yep. was was good because yep. they, you know, they, you'd have so many undulations and off camber corners, and they made it hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard and it was rough. Like, yeah, right. It was rough. Some of them tracks were rough. Rain, hail, or shine. I remember Kevin Williams would stand there and he'd go, "Hey, it's off road racing. If you don't like it, go." <laughs> and some people would turn around and go and didn't want to get their bikes muddy, but you know, I remember looking over and there was at least 20 or 30 bikes laying sideways in wow. in the mud, you know. And So it was always on. It was always on. Yeah. It was no, oh, it's too wet. And once at, um, I think it was Aubrey Thumpinats, maybe, oh, it would have been maybe 98, 99, mm-hmm. we parked in the street all the teams down the street and we had to ride up the street to the start gate and do the race in the mud like it was just that was fun yeah that's cool yeah yeah what a time that was for the sport eh? that that was when motorbikes were huge yeah um you know we didn't have the restrictions we weren't frowned upon to at the public you know oh we make noise and dust and all that sort of stuff 
And I, un- I, I honestly believe that with the, the way we're evolving now, taking all this motorsport, this technical side of it, in 10, 20, 30 years' time, our kids are not really going to have enough hand-eye coordination to drive cars safe. You know, where back then we rode in paddocks. You know, there's, there's we've got bushland everywhere throughout Australia, but they're shutting it down to that, oh, you can go and ride in the bush and just go for a ride. Or racing, they're making it harder. Yep. Our governing bodies are making everything harder because mm. of insurance and litigation and, and everything. And I, I believe that, you know, we need to relax it a little bit more. You go and race in the States and we're treated like royalty. You rock yep. up there and it's just like you're a customer and yep. here you go, oh, it's good to have you here and it's so welcoming. Mm. You come to a race in Australia with cams and and yep. and like all our governing bodies, it's like you've got the wrong sticker on your bike. All of a sudden, bang, writing in your logbooks and stuff, you know. So it, it gets – it's yeah. too political. It is, yeah, and the whole thing, like, like the state forests and everything um, – the conversation you have with some of your mates is like, we need to get out. I do a lot of trail ride stuff. I run some tours. We need to get out and ride that ta- that part before it gets shut down. Or you need to ride that island. There's only one island left to ride. We need to get out and ride it before it gets shut down. Yep. This should never be the case. If you still got a registered vehicle, why would you be shut out of a forest, a state forest? Exactly. I agree with you. We just got, you know, they're handing too much, you know, power to yep. to the national parks and they're just going, no, shut everything down because yep. it's the easiest. Uh, the easiest option isn't the best for the big picture. Um, you know, we need to get out and enjoy enjoy the bush. Obviously, we want to weed out the idiots that go and burn cars and steal stuff. Sure. and Dump and all, all that, that crap out there. Yep. yep. That's, that's take your rubbish. Everyone take your rubbish, yep. clean up. And, and in America... You know, they, everyone picks on, on s- some of the stuff there, but that's amazing. You go mm. out there, no one litters. Mm. Um, so they've got like off-highway recreational areas. They're just thousands and thousands of acres and you can go and do whatever you want. Um, sometimes it, it gets a little bit dangerous with head-ons or whatever, but um, most of the time you can see dust or you can see what's going on, but yep. everyone takes their own rubbish away and it's clean and it's not regulated. You don't have to pay money to go there. It's just it's just open. Mm. And they've got that much land out there. That's what they can do. But in Australia, everything's shut down. Everything's got a gate on it. No, you can't go in here. You can't go in there. Yep. So it's taking – it's catering for, for those couple of idiots. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, pandering for them. Yeah. I couldn't agree any anymore. That's just – it's so frustrating to see here because we're one of the lucky places that's got space. Yep. We've got the space. We're like America. We've got so much space here. Um, we could ride anywhere and we'll do anything. And same with families growing up. You can't take your kids out to a park now without potentially, oh, I hope he doesn't get – we don't get fined for having – it's stupid. You know, like back back when I was learning or when you were learning doing the mini carners and that, you could go anywhere and ride. You could ride in the local car park of a shopping centre and not have a trouble. Now it'd be like, oh, hope, hopefully it doesn't happen, you know. Yeah. Frustrating. Exactly. So where'd you go from Fumpernats? You went, you just went straight into coaching. Coaching was work. Yeah. So coaching, I've I've been a crane driver rigger my oh, yeah. whole life. Yep. So since I left school, I've I've drive, driven mobile cranes and rigging and yep. you know all that sort of stuff, advanced rigging. Yep. Um, so on the off, I'd always go coaching on weekends. Yep. Um, and then from there, from Thumpernats, I went back into cars. Mm. Uh, so I I've still got the the original seventy four GC. 
uh, Galant that I built when I was 16 years old. So is this the yellow one? Yes. So that's the original car that you had then? Yeah. So I built that car yeah. when I was 16 uh, with my dad and and um, then for, when was it? Oh, one of my birthdays, I said um, I said to dad, we're going to race Target Tasmania. Nice. And so my dad come and, and we went down. I took my best mate Garth Hannaford down and yeah. my dad and... And we went and raced Target Tasmania in the car that I built when I was 16 years old. So hey, what a cool feeling. It was cool. We we blew up a couple of motors. We blew up three motors. Um, but, you know, Garth worked full time, you know, yep. and built motors for us overnight. And I jumped yeah. in and raced the stages. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, so we got back into cars mm. um, and then raced Supermoto. Yep. So, you know, I've pretty much raced everything <laughs> um, and love supermoto. Supermoto is the best form of racing yep. on two wheels because it's, you know, it's tough. You go on road and off road and, you know, traction levels, you got a heap of grip, then nothing. Yep. Um, did quite well in supermoto, so I rode pro supermoto. Um, and then everything went really bad when we went to a race in Sydney at Oran Park and, and our truck got stolen. They stole all our gear, everything. So that was pretty much the last time I rode Supermoto. I never recovered from from racing yep. that. I'd invested a lot of money, uh, all our spare wheels, all our leathers, toolbox, everything got taken. And um, mm. at the time, the police turned around and pretty much said, oh, well, your stuff's gone. If you want to live, forget about it. <laughs> and it was oh, just yeah. like, yeah, you know, it's just not fair. That's not. And, no. you know, I tried just sort of tried to get up there and and I did a few supermoto road riding schools for you know and for Mark Avard and a yep. few of those guys I was good mates with all those I used to race against Herfoss and yep and those guys are legends we we had so much fun those years the sport was peaking hey yep. 5 6 7 it was it was huge it it was that yep. was when it was massive then um, Husqvarna come in and, you know, elevate it to a next level. Um, you know, Paul Feeney come in and, and they pumped a heap of money into it. Then Yamaha started pumping money. They had Shannon Johnson and all those mm. those big-time Yamaha road racers coming in. Um, and then it was just for, – for racing, it was awesome because we'd have every discipline. We'd have flat trackers yep. like Kirkness um, and then, you know, and Herfoss and then yep. – um, just every discipline. So they had sections where they were really good at yep. and then there were sections where the motocrossers were good at and then we'd hit the big jumps and and then, you know, the road bike riders would, no, nah, no, nah, wipe the jumps out and the jumps got smaller and smaller yeah. and smaller. <laughs> and So it just, but it, it's the way it evolved. It, it was did. fun. It was good. And you had Alex Gobert had only just come home from the States. Yep. He had their Aprilia, the the. Probably the best supermoto bike that could have been built at the time, the Aprilias. Yep. Um, they came in. There was a lot of good stuff happening then, wasn't there? There, there was. It, it was definitely fun years. Um, that Did was you good. do the Olympic Park one? Yes. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, so I, down I raced. Down the gutter. Sorry? Down the gutter. Yeah, yeah. It was Up in, and down gutters and all through. Yep, yep. there was tracks and, and stuff. So, yeah, I raced that round. That was yep. that was pretty good. Like everyone was there, you yeah. know, Craig Anderson, Danny Ham, all – there was everyone there. Yeah. So that was such a good round. Uh, we had a ball there. I, I can't remember where I finished there. I, was, I think I was inside the top ten. And had a naming rights sponsor. Like to have – to just look at Supermoto now to think like then it had – it was like a proper – full TV packaged event in Australia. 
Yeah. You can just can't fathom it now. Yeah, back then, like Mark Avard and Motorcycle Sportsman Club in Queensland, yep. they put everything into that. Um, you know, Avard worked so hard to bring that to the level it was. Um, and, yeah, you know, with lots of help, lots of people helped mm. and, and brought it up because it was fun. Uh, then it got to the point where... It just it sort of just dwindled away. Uh, I don't even really know why uh, mm. it dwindled away, but it it got to the point where, you know, you you needed to spend, um, you know, like a lot of money to race because the the big teams were using brand new Michelins yep. every single race. Yep. Where I as a privateer or, you know, a semi-sponsored privateer, um, we'd use one set of tyres the whole race meeting. Yep. And there was our second a lap, you know. So straight away. Yep. Straight away. A yep. brand spanking new tyre every single race was a second a lap. And yep. then you're sort of competing with, you know, it, it's getting harder and harder. Mm. And the technology and, you know, we were getting slowly left behind. And and I remember when Troy went to, um, to factory... Husky back then, you know, he just jumped from one level to three it's steps huge. up. Yeah, it was massive, wasn't you it? You know, that we were all similar and then all of a sudden those guys were just went three steps and it was just like yeah. everyone's like, wow, where do we go from here? Do you remember when the Michelins came in? Yeah, yeah. That was the same deal. It was like you've come from here to, mate, that was incredible when they came. Those ones that had the little U in the middle, yep. you know, that yep. was, yeah, it was huge. Yep. And then they tried the control tyre thing. Uh, remember they, the that Maxis. one year they tried the Maxis oh. thing and um, everyone was going out and crashing and yeah. we, we we struggled with them because yep. we were, um, I think, you know, we were Dunlop at the time. Yep. Uh, sorry, we were Pirelli at the time and, you know, that's what we were used to mm. and loved them and, and they were awesome and, and then all of a sudden we're told we have to use this other tyre and it wasn't that it was bad yep. but it was the one tyre supplier inflated the prices at the same time as well. So we were yeah. play, paying more for, for, a a, for, a, for a control tyre than we could buy our, like buy our other tyres and it's just like, hang on, that only lasted about 12 months. Yeah, it didn't last long. And then there was a glut of them. I remember they were selling them for like 30 bucks a set yep. afterwards. And yep. they used to have the practice nights out at Ipswich here. And I remember the first time I went on to them of the night time out at Ipswich on the Maxis. Yep. And they've improved a lot, obviously, to nowadays. But, yeah, just coming through and it's just on the gas, it's like rah, 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 just spinning like crazy. And yeah. um, I was working for Metzler and Pirelli at the time. So we had Metzler. Remember they used to make the Supermoto tyre? Yep. So we had the Metzlers on and then that was basically like semi like a super course sort of deal. Yep. And, um, yeah, so different going to the control Maxis. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, you know, it's not that they are a bad tire. It was just we weren't used to it. it was we different. weren't set up. They were different. Yep. And you know, like we'd have all this racing data from you know the other tires. Yep. And let's face it, anything to do with slick tires is like any racing to do with slick slick tires yep. is is expensive. Yeah. Um, it's set up. It's intense. It's responsive. Um, so you you just got to have the best. If you want to win in that stuff, you you got to yep. have the best. And a lot of it, slick tires and that, is just personal preference. Hey, yep. like what could be good for them and their setup could be totally different for you, even on the same bike. You know, exactly. Yeah, it was a cool time though. It was. It was so much fun. So tell me about the Glant. What was the engine package in that? So, <laughs> the, to go through a few. The Glant. Yeah. Um. When we when we first got the car, we we were sponsored. Luckily enough, we were We got a, a really good engine sponsor, yep. and he built us a sprint car motor that was untouchable. The thing was awesome. So, in a Glant. 
in a glance. So it was yeah. a sprint car motor. It was end up being a two liter, um, same as like a, a, a Mitsubishi, same as a Sigma motor. Yep. Uh, running twin Webers, and we'd run it on race fuel, ab gas, and all that stuff. And nice. and that was about a 130, 140 horsepower. What was it? What would a Galant come out with? Maybe fifty. Uh, yeah, probably 35. <laughs> <laughs> what a weapon that is then. So it weighed 800 kilos and with 130 horsepower. And back then it was a fast car. Like car. They, were, they, were, they were pretty healthy. And yep. we used to win lots of races. And my dad was into it. He was he was really good and, yep. and smart with that stuff. And then we went to a 2.6 motor, mm-hmm. 2.6 Sigma Astron motor, twin Webers. Um, and then didn't really have a lot of luck with that motor. We used to break a lot, of, crack a lot of blocks. Uh, mm. We were sort of stretching them beyond their capabilities. Yep. Uh, we found that we didn't have a lot more horsepower, but we had a lot more torque. Mm. So out of the 2.6, uh, we had a lot more torque, but we didn't even have more horsepower. Right. Uh, with a heavier motor. Yep. So the, the front of the car was a little bit heavier. So we had to, you know, increase, you know, change the setup a fair bit. So when we raced Target Tasmania with that Galant, um, we ran a 2.6 Sigma motor because it's to do with classic rules Mm -hmm. uh, on twin Webers. We had twin 45 Webers and I got an engine builder to build me a motor and he was a lemon. I got that. We spent massive money on it and and it was just a lemon. I jumped in this car, there's something wrong, it's not right. And they just tampered with the timing and, you know, the cam timing and all that stuff and just never got it right. Um, then went down there, blew the motor up on the second day. We qualified six in classic out yep. of a hundred and something cars. Wow. Um, in, in like a, a, a road stage through the streets. So yep. we qualified really well. So that put us right up the pointy end of the, the field. So we were racing, we were seated with some big time cars <laughs> like <laughs> uh, Skylines and, and Lamborghinis. And we were oh, in, in these little 130 horsepower Galants yep. seated with, you know, Audi R8s. Wow. And and that was that was a fun time. And then I just come over one rise and we were sideways and in the air and I just touched down under full pa- full power and just yep. exploded the motor. Oh, I know. Yep. Um, so my best mate, Garth Hannaford, he rebuilt the motor overnight. We went to the other side of Tasmania, picked up a motor, come back and, and built the motor, got, it, got yep. the car running again with 20 minutes and that motor that he built overnight had way more horsepower like we went out and just were killing it <laughs> uh, but un- unlucky enough because it's such a big motor we couldn't and and the stage and the the way it worked we couldn't retorque the head down yep um because it's such a big piston in that motor it's a massive piston um like it's a 2.6 four cylinder so it's a big piston big capacity for a four yeah mm. um so you really got to talk the head down you know in stages like few heat cycles never talk the head down and we blew a head gasket and then yep. you know water got in and made it worse and we ended up finishing so we finished target tasmania nice. um in that glant was was pretty cool and then when I got home, I said, you know what, I'm going big horsepower. So I went and bought a Mitsubishi Evo motor, mm. uh, got that built, and it's a 2.6 stroke, uh, 2.4 uh, Evo stroker. Uh, that's got about 500 horsepower now. So <laughs> the car weighs 1,000 kilos, yep. 500 horsepower. Uh, just got a you know six link rear end in it, adjustable yep. roll center, so I can dial it all in from the so cab. So she's a full race car now. It's a full blown race yep. car. Yep. Um, and 
now like full dog box, all that stuff, yep. and, and but it's always broken. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's never ending. Yep. And, and you know, that's a toy. I took it out of door-to-door racing and went to Tarmac Rally because they were just hitting each other in door-to-door, like in yeah. all the, you know, the proper races. And the car's too rare. There's 136 of that model brought into Australia in 1974. Yeah, right. So it's a super rare car. Probably classic car. Yep. Yep. And um, so I was like, oh, well, at least if I crashed it in Target Tasmania or something, it's my fault. But when someone runs into you, mm. you know, it's uh, that was going to not, you know, sort of go down too well. And you've still got all original door skins. Like, it's yeah. all proper. Yeah, it's yep. all as as per I built it when I yep. was 16. And then, but it's gone through a lot of changes. Like, I've, it's just never ending evolved. And, and if I ever get it finished and do it properly, it's it's a fast car. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, hey. Um, it is pretty crazy. We were, we were doing a test day at uh, Queensland Raceway and I pulled out onto the straight and drove past a Porsche GT3. Um, <laughs> Holy crap. So it gets there fast, but then next thing you know, it's broken. So Yep. <laughs> and what's what breaks? Is it the motor or is it is it uh, just, just still trying to refine the build? Yeah, just try, the car wasn't meant to have that much power. Yep. I made a big mistake going with that much power. I should have just put, uh, you know, a Evo motor with some twin Webers and kept it simple. Yep. Uh, instead, I went too crazy. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> the turbo's too big and then the gearbox kept breaking, then clutches yep. and then output shafts and then diffs. And then, you know, just it, you're just moving, you know, the, the weak link around yep. the car almost to the point where – the brakes aren't good enough now. Like I've got Skyline R34 brakes on it and mm-hmm. they're not even good enough. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's like now it's got to go to a race, proper race brake and yep. it's just never, you know, never ending. So if you if that was a complete, like once you're happy with it, that's a fast, fast circuit car, eh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hands down. Like the rear end, you know, it's got a solid axle rear end yep. with – Two degrees of camber and uh, two degrees of camber and and two mil of toe in, yep. so it's it's the real deal. Yeah, she's <laughs> a proper racer. So the 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 billet hubs, uh, the rear hubs, and that it's got twenty five thirty thousand dollars worth of rear end in that car. <laughs> <laughs> and don't Toys. tell my wife, but um, no, yeah. don't listen. Ah, <laughs> oh, she won't listen. <laughs> but yeah, well, I've put a lot of money and time yep. into that. But yep. it's been over a long period of time, so it's not. So it's, it's just how it happens. So it's evolved. Have yeah. you ever taken it out to Morgan Park? Uh, no, I haven't done Morgan Park. No. You ever driven there at all? In yeah, I, I did um, Morgan Park. I did Aussie Driver Search. Um, what was that? Uh, that was like you get to drive a V8 supercar, and the winner gets to gets a free race. You know, gets a season. Oh yeah. Um, that all you know fell in a big heap. So I qualified for the final in a in a V8 supercar. Um, that all fell in a heap, and they went broke, and the winner, uh. you know, sort of missed out on everything. So that that's another big story. But yeah, that was the only time I'd, I'd driven Morgan Park was in a, a V8 supercar. That's a fun track. It is mm, really really fun track. They. They actually approved it for supercar testing a few years ago, but I think they ran them backwards there. Yeah, right. Or something. They ran them a bit different. There was something happened there because they took the triple eight cars out a few times. Yep. And did it approved, but uh, it'd be fast there in a supercar. Yeah, it it was. You know, there there was a lot of people there too. It was it was crazy. You know, I think I, I think the only ones that qualified on that day was um, myself and and Brock Feeney. Yeah, right. Um, so we we qualified and then went to uh, the the finals down there in at Goulburn, uh, Wakefield. at Wakefield. Yep. 
Um, and then I just got back from Mexico. So we'd just raced the Baja 1000 in Mexico and then I flew in and then the next day flew straight down <laughs> to, to qualify for that, uh, for the final. Yep. And then, um, you know, we found out the week leading up to it, there was people that were hiring that, that car for the the day, you know, full day rate, just doing thousands and thousands of laps. And, and I just come off a, a race of being smooth and, and no intensity, yep. you know, just being consistent and no intensity. So when I jumped back onto the road mm. uh, and in the, in the V8 supercar, I didn't really have the intensity there because I'd just been the last two years, I've been driving smooth without yep. intensity and just, just consistency. Yep. Um, so I didn't really have that intensity for, for a one or two lap sprint, but still went, went pretty good. Went, went all the way to the end and, and missed out. So they're a fun car to drive a super, like a supercar, isn't it? Oh, it's, they, they are, yeah, they are pretty fun. They're raw, you know, mm. they just wheel spin a lot. It's, it is pretty cool. So I actually raced, uh, Target Tasmania for, uh, BMW. Gonna ask you about that. that <laughs> How'd that come about? Oh, so so yeah what happened because i was driving instructor um they put on a big you know m2 bmw launch Mm. when the the m2 bmw come out so i went to um they they invited me to go down there and be an instructor and then i got down there and i ended up uh, being paired up with a couple of the ceo of bmw and one of the head engineers Mm. um and it got to the point where we were sort of paired up and we were sort of just you know spent or, you know, a week with these people. And um, they just, oh, yeah, you jump in, you drive this stage. And I spent more time driving, you know, these these brand-new cars, like nice. M6s. Um, I was in a in a E46 CSL, like the oh, original yeah. BMW-owned CSL. Yep. So when they said to me, they said, you cannot crash this car. This car yeah. is like money cannot buy this car. Yep. So I was in that car, which was old school, like the S- SMG paddle shift gearbox. and. So what I, I do remember that car. It came to the Sydney Motor Show about 2002, yep. E46. Yep. What was what was the CSL? The CSL was the, the racing carbon fiber, fiber version. So it yep. had carbon roof, uh, no radio, nothing. It was carbon fiber Should dash. a race car it for was, the road. Yeah, it was, a, it was super light, you know, carbon yep. seats. Um, you know, they had the rear end, like the, the rear pickup, the diff pickup all braced and yep. and carbon fibre air boxes. And it was just like a full-blown race version of, of the E46, like the M3. So yep. it, was, it was like a, about five levels up from an M3. Oh, what a cool car to drive. It, it was. Yep. Believe it or not, that car got more attention than any car down there. Really? Even yeah. like Lambos or things like that? Yeah. Oh, yep. for, for the BMW yep. followers, uh, that E46 got yep. so much attention because a lot of BMW enthusiasts really love that car. Mm. And it was just like, there's a there's a CSL because they are so rare, like mm. a proper, proper legit, a legit CSL. One. Yep. Nowadays, you see a you know a, an M3 with a... A CSL body kit and a CSL wheels, yep. but they're they're just replicas. But to have that proper CSL was huge. was cool, and to to race that around Tassie for two weeks was awesome. That'd be a, such a balanced car, hey? It was. It was amazing. Yep. Um, yeah. It was a bit a bit old school, a bit raw. Yep. Um, you know, you you'd sort of if you give it too much power, they'd wheel spin, and you could turn the power up or down. Yeah, right. You, you could turn the the shift up or down. So if you want more like a harder shift. You can you can turn the power of the the shift like the paddle shift, 
Pretty so, cool for 2002. Uh, yeah. 2000, 2000, somewhere around that, wouldn't it, I think? Yeah, it was 2002, yep. 2003, I think, was it? that yep. that that car, the year model of it. Because mm. that, that, uh, that was the highlight car for the Sydney show. Yeah. I remember that being on the stand at the Sydney show and that was, wow. Because E46 for me is probably still probably the best looking M3. Oh, I, I agree. If I could yeah. buy one of them, I'd, I'd buy one of them. Either. I reckon they're the ones. You yeah. Know? So. so, yeah, to do that that BMW cool. thing was was really cool. Yep. Um, you know, I was down there with, with Stephen Richards, um, Harry Bates, yep. you know, so all all the top names, we were all there and, yep. and just, you know, we spent two weeks living with each other and and uh, racing and it, we were in a big group of about 15 cars. Nice. Um, so, yeah, we'd had to clean the cars after every stage, like every night we'd yep. go and we'd all clean, have, have a bit of fun. Uh, there was a few professional co-drivers like navigators and that there, but um, that, that was a fun time. That was such a good good event it was massive for the the m2 launch did you get to drive the m2 yeah yep yep as well so yep. we drove the m2 uh we we just swapped around and we drove all diff all the the cars you know the m2 cool. m3 uh m4s m6 um yeah so but my allocated car was the the csl the um the m2 they, a lot of people say they reckon that's a good one of the best ones, eh? The the M two manual yep. was a fun car. Really? Yeah. So yep. um they had the, the auto but we, we had the, the M two manual and we were at um one of the tracks down there in Tasmania somewhere. I can't remember it what and we did laps and we had to sort of teach, you know, people how to drive them yep. and, and all that sort of stuff so and make they, sure did they have customers come on this as well or No, it was only media. Um, so they only had a few of the press. Yep. Um, so they had the media in the M2s um, yep. and then they had the real high-profile CEOs and directors of, of BMW worldwide um, come with, with us in, in like the CSL. The i8, we had the i8 there. So oh, yeah. I, I did a few stages in the i8, the <laughs> hybrid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'd mix it around. So, yeah, that was, that was cool. How is it competing in Tassie? Target Tasmania is so fun. Does um, it still go? Yeah, yeah, still, still on. Yep. Still races. It's it's just to be able to race um, on streets that you sort of see out in the hinterland there, similar yep. sort of streets, and be able to go as fast as you can is pretty special. Yeah, it's it's cool. Ta it's expensive. It is a really expensive sport. Um, I think that one year to do that race cost me about 50 or 60 grand. In the Glen? Yeah. Yep. That's, and I had the lowest budget out of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but it's, it's expensive. It's a, it's a big yep. deal. Um, but once you do it, it's, it's fun. Mm. Tarmac racing is definitely awesome fun because everyone thinks tarmac, oh yeah, you're just racing on the road. It's not quite like that in the way that, you go through so many different traction levels. You know, mm. you go down into a gully um, with canopies and there's moss on the road and you're just come off a ridge with hot tyres yep. into ice sections. Wow. And people were spinning and off cliffs and there's Ferraris <laughs> off a cliff and Porsches just laying yep. on their side and, and cars with so many electronics still on their roof and... And, it was, and so you, it's carnage. It's some yep. of it was carnage. Yep. If you're an idiot, you, you're not going to last too long out there. <laughs> You've got to be really reserved. And and um, Jim Richards, I was there at at and I Jim Richards was an idol of mine growing up. Same, you know, just a legend, gentleman yep. Jim. And and I said, oh, 
this is my first race. I just approached him and I was I was scared and I just approached him. I said, this is my first race. Have you got any advice? And he goes, don't try and win it in the first day and drive at 50%. Mm. Straight away. And straight away. And I was like, you know what, that that makes sense. And and then a couple of stages I was getting really fast and I was like, nah, need to pull back, need to, yep. need to reset. Uh, as soon as I had a little moment, uh, I think in that whole, you know, 2,000-kilometre race, or it's 2,000-kilometre, uh, but probably 500 race kilometres, uh, I think I only really had one moment that I was scared that I was going to run wide. Yep. Um, but that was just rushing my entry and just lose concentration, not looking where I needed to go. And was it over a cliff or was it? Uh... Uh, I was into a, a straight into a rock wall. Mm. Not good. <laughs> no, it would have would have put us out. <laughs> I think that's one of the things too is uh, with with racing anything. Like you could probably count the moments, big moments on on one hand that you're out of control. Yeah. Out of out of control, I guess. That'd be right, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. What I say and and when I got Brett Comiskey in the car and, you know, the long races in, in America, I yep. navvy for Brett mm-hmm. and then um, I drive whenever we, you know, have a long race. So yep. Brett drives and then I drive. Um, so when I'm in the car with Brett, we, we always talk about if we've had a moment, we say reset. Yep. So you've had a moment, reset. It Back means to neutral start again forget about everything that we've done before Mm. um and start again and and don't make that same mistake um normally when you have an accident it's normally after two or three moments Mm. because you haven't reset enough so brett and i work really well with that hey you you know we're getting loose reset yep and it's like check up and and we won an american championship we won the best in the desert championship using those, those those morals because yeah. a lot of people wouldn't, I guess, hey? Well, a lot of people just go for it the whole time. Yep. Um, and and racing in America, you can't go for it the whole time. Yeah, there's been times where I would love to just hold that thing flat yep. and just hit stuff, but the car's not going to last and it's not going to, you know, it's going to, you know, like cause a DNF. For us, we weren't, DNF wasn't even allowed we weren't allowed to talk dnf we weren't allowed to talk negativity yep. you know i brought to the team if anyone talks negative they're they're out and now we it's you know we'll say something and it's like that's negative and you sort of think yeah it is too mm. and then you just go now think of the positives so being able to reset yep when you have a moment and then not be negative towards it has has helped us winning how'd you say your relationship with brett and was Brett, is Brett a good, like, was he a good driver? Is he Dean doing off-road stuff forever or what's he sort of go? Yeah, Brett's raced UTVs forever uh, for a lot longer than any of us. Um, so he's been into it for a long time. So and he's then, right in, hey? Like right in. Yeah. Loves it. Cool. Loves it. He's an absolute legend. Um, so what's happened with Brett is he's come along. I was with Yamaha and yep. I was doing quite well with Yamaha, winning lots and lots of races. And then we sort of just become friends and he'd come up and we'd talk and then we'll, we'll you know, we sort of just become friends at race. I don't even know how. Yep. We, we just were talking more and more and then next thing you know, we, we ended up being pitted next to each other. We'd just rock up late at night and that's yep. where we were pitted. We'd wake up in the morning, he was next to us. And then yep. we, we travelled the whole Australian side-by-side circuit together. So, you know, he had his car, I had my car, and we'd just travel together and share drivers sometimes when we're yep. doing a big trip to South Australia or something. Uh, we'd have three or four drivers and share drivers and share cars, and and that's how we sort of become friends. And then 
um, he said to me, come over and race um, Vegas Torino in my new car. I, I bought a, a Can-Am over there, a, an unlimited car, and come over and race and help us out and help yep. us set up. And I said, all right, game on. So I bought a ticket, flew over there, and end up going in that race and i did a stage of that race for brett so he did the first stage and another driver did a, a mid short step short stint and then i did the the final all oh, right and since then it was just like we've been best mates for you know we've been sort of you know going really well and piecing it all together yeah and like it's just grown and grown and yep as a relationship isn't it yeah definitely you know that's so that's how it evolved you know and then um, I was quite passionate about the sport, and and I really want to win, and yep. and he likes that as well. And we, you know, we started to get good results and winning, and we're working out how to win, and mm. and we weren't cheating. We we're just doing the best, and we'd go over there and get up them because something wasn't quite right, and and then you know we we sort of went through a couple of um, prep companies to get to that level where we can go. No, that's not right. This is what we want. Mm. Um, and now, you know, we're back in Australia with all this COVID. So we've we've set up a race shop in, in Yatla. Um, yep. We've got all our cars, everything there. And we work with Toby Price a lot. Yep. Um, and, and, yeah, so we're, we're doing a lot of, a lot of stuff together. Um, and that's how it's evolved. And now I think having, you know, both of you guys, you know, Brett, yourself, Toby, it's sort of grown off-road racing here a bit too, hasn't it? It's pushed it along maybe a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. We come back and a few people were, oh, yeah, they race in America, you know, yep. what would they know? And we come back and we won we won Gunda Windy 400. Yep. Um, then we won St. George. Um, we had a bit of a, a, a problem at um, Don River. But we've had some really good results back in Australia too. Yep. And, and they're now like, oh, wow, we're – you know, we, we've taken it to a net, the next level with yep. the way our cars look. Um, everything's prepped right. The team, all we, our team shirts, our yep. logos, uh, we spend extra time with that. Joel Whitaker from 5.3, he wraps our car and they, the car looks amazing mm. and, and the logos and the wrap. And we're getting exposure like that. In return, we're getting sponsors come on board with us too to, to you know, help us out. So we're factory BF Goodrich tires. So I'm the distributor for BF Goodrich race tires now. So if anyone wants really? BF Goodrich off-road race tires, um, they they buy through through myself. There's only myself and one other dealer in Australia that can sell the proper, you know, off-road KR race tires. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm. So you housing them here? Like yep. it's all local. Yeah, cool. Yep. So we we've got them in stock. Yep. Uh, we got the the big brands in stock now. Um, yeah, so send me a message message if anyone wants some BFG race tires. That's yeah, that's a that's a huge asset to have, isn't it? It is. Yeah. There's no uh, there's like they're the premium tire in that world, aren't they really? Definitely. Yep. You know, they've got in in America, they got 70-80% market share. Really um, is it that much? Yeah, so yep. You know, they do a lot of things right. In Mexico, uh, everyone runs the BFG tyres in Mexico. There are a number of reasons because they last as well as they've got some really good pit support and they're, they're pro you know, Mitchell and BFG are really proactive with their, mar you know, marketing and being at races and they're there. Yep. Um, so, but the thing that sells, the, it, it's the product itself. It mm. is hands down the best tyre. You know, the compounds, everything about it is is just 
just next level. You know, look at Toby, he's slapped some BFGs on a near stock Can-Am and went out and won, you know, quite a few things lately. So yep. it, it goes to show that the tyre with the driver, it is a package, but the, the tyre does make a lot of difference. Speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. And tied up, obviously, now with Michelin as a as a, uh, the, the brand owner, isn't it, basically? Yeah. That's yeah. right. Michelin, yeah, yep. own and BFG, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, as I say, I didn't know that, that sort of side of it. But it makes sense you guys are off-road races yeah man that's the market yeah tell me um you've done a lot of different motorsport events in the world what has been a highlight um the highlight for me there's there's been a, a quite a few <laughs> um because you've the, done everything <laughs> yeah so one of the big highlights tassie target tasmania yeah in the car that i built with my dad and my best mate it, at at 40 odd years old was pretty special yeah. um you know that was that was pretty awesome um, and then to race the Baja 1000, the first time we raced the Baja 1000 was just like, wow. So the Baja 1000 is the next biggest off-road event other than Dakar. You mm. know, so Dakar is in, insane intense, but in a way Baja is just as hard because they start and they finish. And mm. you've got to do 1,200 miles. The, f- the first year we did it, we did 1,200 miles which is what 16 1800 kilometers yep. of racing straight. So, you know, in Australia yep. they they turn around and we go and do a club like a an Australian championship round and they make you stop and have a half hour lunch break. Really? It is like it's an endurance <laughs> race and then all of a sudden this race you've got to stop and have a half hour lunch break. It's and like you're dr- driving on the road with a logbook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and in Mexico it's like just do it, finish. you got to figure it out. Just work it out. Go. Yeah. And that's what makes it fun, you know. They're, they're just, you know, it's just insane. So yep. those two events for me are, are major standouts. And yep. then the last one was the Mint 400 earlier on in the year when we were racing the tro- two Aussie trophy yep. trucks uh, side by side down the start of, um, you know, the Mint the mint down ramp was was pretty cool. And people, like, a lot of motorcycle fans of, of what we're, we're getting listeners of, but a lot of people don't know. Like That is like one of the marquee events for off-road racing in the world, isn't it? The Mint 400. 400. Yeah. You know, what's the Mint 400, Parker? Yep. Um, they're probably the two two really iconic ones for America, aren't they? Yeah, definitely Parker um, is is pretty cool. Yep. Um, the Mint's the biggest. Yep. And, and then Vegas Torino. Mm. So Vegas Torino is probably the the one of the best events you can do, but it's nowhere near as good for spectators. Yep. You've got a chase crew, so you've got chase cars. Um, you know, it's it's the big picture. Yep. Um, and that's like Vegas Torino is 580 miles. Um, and you start, we started at 2.30 in the afternoon. So you're racing all day, all night, and, yep. you know, might finish about, um, you know, three or four in the morning. Holy crap. <laughs> So 580 miles, it's a thousand Ks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're finishing at three, four in the morning, um, which, which is pretty intense. So that's a really good race as well for, for an American race. Um, but the mint is pretty cool because the spectators can go the street party in Vegas, uh, Fremont street is just packed. Yeah. It takes six hours to go through tech. Seriously? Yep. So we push the cars through tech and yep. it takes six hours because you go past maybe about three or 400 vendors and you could virtually build a whole car going through tech. 
Mate, that's um, unreal. Yeah, down Vandero, it's it's insane, and it's in old school part of Vegas. Yep. So you know, there's zip lining over your head, and there's <laughs> it's just like the Fremont Street freak show, and it's, <laughs> it's just it, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, that's the real America. Yeah, you know when you see that America event. Sorry, that's the real America event. It, it is. How'd you get a relationship with King? Uh, so uh, we we Brett King. Um, we bought some King shocks for one of our cars uh, over there, and it was just like, oh yeah, you know, everyone uses Fox on them and and that. And then Brett King come on board, and we got a good deal on on King. Yep. Then we started to make some little changes and we said, oh, I need to make some valving changes and we book in a test day with the King engineers yep. um, and we're there and I'd go out, yeah, I, I need a bit more high-speed rebound, uh, I need a bit of this, need a bit of that, make the changes come back. And they sort of said to me, well, sounds like you sort of know what you're doing a little bit. So, you know, like what do we think we do here? And then we just evolved and... And we got into sort of say a level eight sort of you know setting of shock now, um, which is pretty crazy. And then we we had people ring Brett King and say, hey, uh, Brett, we want what the Aussies are racing. We want see, want the shocks that CMS are racing. Those guys yep. are fast through the the rough stuff. And then Brett goes, yeah, no worries. Brett rings me and said, oh yeah, well we're going to sell your valving. It's all good, you know. So from there, we've been sponsored. So yep. Brett is a legend. We've worked really well with, with Brett King and to develop them. And obviously, they've put a lot of development in it, but we've helped with the setup as well yep. of, of the shock and what works and what lasts and, and that. So our data and our input, because one of our cars over there, Brett said, uh, Brett Comiskey said, we're going to build a, the best UTV in the world. Mm. He goes, build your dream car. So we said, all right, went to Lone Star and sat down with Lone Star and we built this car that was insane. The electronics in that car are unbelievable. We've got suspension potentiometers on yep. each corner so we could get shock data so we could see on the dash that we'd go through a set of whoops and we had 50 mil shock shaft left through a set of whoops at 60 mile an hour. And then we'd go through faster and we could see where we would set the car up. Um, so I would relay that data with Brett King. Yep. Hey, you know, we've had this ride, we've got sort of this much shock shaft left going through the blah, 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 and, and rates of shock speed. And he's like, wow, yeah, we need to work together. And from then we sort of haven't really paid for any shock since. Mate, I, BFG, King, like iconic brands. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, and to have those big sponsors on board is mm. is massive, and to have those big sponsors to believe in us mm. is is what's special. Um, you know, we we're not the savviest team with social media and all that sort of stuff, and you know, we haven't got four billion followers and that. But when we go out on race day, we get noticed and we we get results. You know, yep. we've won two world championships, yep, um, and we won the best in the desert uh, championship. Uh, one of the races, we were in Unlimited there, and we started dead last, like 50-odd cars, and finished second outright. Wow. Behind Phil Blurton, like carving through the, the field. So we, we got noticed in the you know by the, the right people that with the direct marketing. So yep. which, that was awesome. There's a company called uh, Mad Media over there. Yep. They do so much good stuff with the off-road scene. Yeah, they do. Over there. Um, I forget the guy's name, but... My my job's video production, so I look I, I look at other people's stuff and 
He does some unreal work with the off-road work over stuff over there, eh? Yeah, there's there's some really good marketing companies over mm. there. You know, we use Dirt Media. Uh, we've used Mad Mad Media before. Yep. That's you know the the Martellis and all that. Mm, mm, um, Matt Martelli. Yep. Yep. So you know we we sort of dealt with those guys. Um, I'm good friends with Killian, one of the guys there. Yep. Um, so yeah, there there's lots of good marketing companies mm. over there. Do a pretty awesome job. Sounds like we've got renovations happening through here for some reason. <laughs> What, a, what an experience to get into this from moto and whatnot into like one of the most crazy forms of racing. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is. It's, the way it's evolved has been pretty awesome, yep. um, you know, to come out. And they say it takes, you know, like, oh, yeah, 20 years to become an overnight success. I've been working at this my whole life to, to get a, a good paying job that that's something I love doing and something that I'm good at um, and having Brett you know, Comiskey from CMS Racing believe in me and trust me with his half a million dollar car. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you drive, you know, something worth half a million or a million dollar, like the million dollar trophy truck, you're sort of just going, hang on, if things go wrong here, that's pretty insane. So yeah. we, we don't drive at 100%, we, we drive to, yep. to finish. It's a bit of a pinch yourself thing at some point, I reckon. It, oh, <laughs> the first Baja 1000, Brett and I, we were looking at each other at the start and Brett goes, this is happening. I mean, it's like, it is. Yeah. And then we were just so uptight for the first 20 miles. It was just, you know, like making mistakes and like I was making wrong calls because Brett was driving and then, you know, we ran off a cliff and nearly died and all that sort of <laughs> stuff, but we didn't and then – we said reset, reset, and started to get into it. And then we started yep. to go really well. Then Brett got out, and another driver did his rest, did his stint, and then I had had to rest. I had to had probably two or three hours sleep. Then I jumped in and did my my stage was was two hundred miles out in the middle of nowhere with right. no recovery. Mm. Um, so I was quite reserved out there, and and then. At the end of that race, we were just like, we finished the first Baja 1000. The team that we were with had been racing that, that race for 10 years and never finished. Seriously? Yep. And when we get to uh, La Paz down, down there near Cabo, the bottom of Mexico, we said, um, where's the accommodation? We crossed the finish line at 4 or 5 in the morning. And they said, oh, where's the – we said to him, where's the accommodation? And he goes, oh, um, we didn't book any accommodation because we've never made it this far. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So we're a boat all, of confidence. <laughs> we're all looking, going, "What do you mean? Like, yeah, where do we stay?" So we're asking people, "You got any spare rooms?" And we end up just all piling in one bedroom, and yep. <laughs> we had people on the floor, and people sleeping in cars, and people sleeping in the race car, and holy crap! And, and then in the morning, we just got the shits and went down and spent a week at Carbo, and yep. And yeah, just stayed the the week at Carbo. What happens once you're in Carbo? You've got your your vehicles there and everything. Is there one with a trailer, or is there a truck come pick them up? Or no, we got to you got to drive the whole stint all the way back. So you got to take the whole everything. party truck trailer the chase lot. trucks the whole lot back to um to to America. Yep. which is a probably a twenty two hour drive. Man, what an event! Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Where's your stuff in America? Are you based out of California? 
Yeah, we're so our team shop um, is Chris Redden at R Three Fabrications. He's out at uh, Beaumont, mm-hmm. out near Yakaipa, uh, which is about an hour and a half out of LAX. All right. Yep. So we fly into LAX, uh, we catch an Uber to um, to Yakaipa, and then spend the week testing and setting up there. Yep. Um, we go to Barstow a lot and Plaster City down in San Diego. We mm-hmm. do that a fair bit. Uh, then go and travel to the races. Most of the races are in Nevada. Mm-hmm. So n- most of the races we, we go and stay in, in Vegas. Yep. We norm- Most of the time we stay at the Golden Nugget in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Yep. Which is which is pretty cool. Same um, deal, another iconic sort of venue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you get to see some things. That's another part of this sport. It's not um, – you're not racing Appen each weekend. You know, you get to see some some different places. Yeah, definitely. To to from the days winning the um, you know MacArthur Motocross Club and and the old Dargle Club days with yeah. you know winning um, B grade uh, Hawkesbury Club Championship uh, back in probably ninety two or something ninety three. From those days to where we are now, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Back then, you would never have thought that I'd be racing trophy trucks in America, traveling the world, racing them. Yeah, racing venues. What's been the best racing venue? Is it is it the Baja? Yeah, as as what I love about Baja is yep. just intense, yep. and and it's just make your own rules. Mm. Um, you know, we're so restricted here, and. Yep as we've said quite a few times, but over there there's no restrictions. It's yep. make shit work mm. um, and think for yourself. And that makes you, your spatial awareness. Everything around you is just so much more intense. You come alive. You, you do. Yep. You, you're on edge. You, you know, it's, it's a natural high that you're on um, because you're just doing something that you're so not used to. That's just like we're driving a pre-runner buggy down the main street. You drive it through Macca's drive through and if you did that in Australia, <laughs> you get locked up and go to jail. And Straight you're, away. You're, you're, you, you get to do something like that, like drive a buggy down the street yep. in Australia is equivalent to killing someone. Mm. In America and, and Mexico, it's normal. It's, <laughs> it's just, just day-to-day they, life. It's just life. And so we're driving down the street thinking we're, we're, doing, we're committing a crime. You know, we're, gonna, we're looking over our shoulder like we're going to get arrested. <laughs> Even some of the pre-run vehicles. Like some of the pre-run vehicles would be like the most built trucks that we could ever see here, hey? Yeah, that's right. So some of the proper pre-runners, you know, the Menzies pre-runner and all yep. that stuff, uh, you know, they're, they're a million bucks. Mm. For um, a pre-run vehicle. Yeah, and, and they're, they're pretty much race cars with the aircon. Yep. So the, the pre-runners are, is, are a proper race car with an air conditioner and, the, a, and a, a, like a window. The full, the new truck that you're building, mm. that'll be a full aircon rig, won't it? No, 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 it's no, it's a race car. Fuel, okay, yep, yeah, it's all open cab. Yep, yeah. Hey, what a dusty, dusty environment, eh? Yeah, well, we got helmet pumpers. You know, we're pumped into air, and we got clean air blowing in. Yep. Uh, we got drink like systems in our helmets and that. So it's all, it's it's not really that bad. Yeah. Um. You know, the, the downfall with having a windscreen and like a pre runner is you go through a mud or dust and you're just constantly cleaning the window. Where with an open cab, you're just constantly cleaning your visor. Just your visor. Yeah. Can you ever see when you're talking about the suspension stuff? Do you remember the years of I think it was World Superbike? They had um, adaptive suspension technology. 
Can you ever see that coming across where you have like suspension change on the go? You're saying potentiometers for measuring before, yep. but the other way around for electric adjustment. They've got them now. Mm. So the new Can-Am and the new Polaris yep. come out with that. Like fly-by-wire, like on the yep. go. So it's on the go measuring. It reads in front. It's got a little scanner, reads in front. Um, but it's not developed enough yet. Uh, most mm. people are taking that those shocks off and going back to to manual yep. setup. Um, simply be simply because is it's making a change at a time when you're used to the car doing something, then all of a sudden it's making a change. Mm. So you can't get that consistency and that consistent feel. Um, you know, when they try the trail active front diffs and all that sort of stuff, you come in, you feel the front pulling and torque steering when we found that we we just took all that out and just went just with a an open front diff because you could get it and when the car was weighted the inside wheel would have a certain amount of grip and you could work it out and you'd you'd have that consistency yep we found that all those electronics off-road took our consistency away Mm. so the benefit you get out of it just gets it's very marginal compared to what you have with feel it's definitely awesome for a trail rider someone cruising around but these cars aren't really designed like the, the side-by-sides and the Can-Ams and Polaris and Yamahas. They're not really decide, designed to be full-blown race cars the way they are. Yep. So 90% of users or 95% of the users are just recreational users that just want to cruise and go over a few bumps and maybe do a jump every now and then, yep. and it's awesome for them. Mm. But for a hardcore racer, um, it's not really yep. at that level yet. Mm. You know, like our cars in the States, you know, one of them, one of the Can-Ams that we designed, uh, that's not a toy. That's that's 150000 US dollar Can-Am. That's the real deal. That's the real deal. <laughs> Mate, you're talking about a Can-Am. Like that's, that's, yeah, legit, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, we can go over whoops at 80 mile an hour, knee, knee to waist high, metre high whoops at 80 mile an hour in that car and not feel a thing. Just soaks them up. Yep. Where do you see it going in Australia, the Can-Am side? Um, it's huge. Like yeah. That's the next biggest thing. Um, they're already they're, they're getting 75 entries to the Fink Desert Race in 75 entries of side-by-sides, mm. Can-Ams, Polaris and, and Yamahas and stuff. So it's it's big. Um, not everyone can afford the pro buggies and trophy trucks. Um where I, I believe that it's it's more affordable and yep. it's fun and anyone can go and buy parts off the street. Mm. Where what we've got now, we've got a like a proper pro buggy and a lot of the stuff's fabricated. Mm. So the amount of time it takes to to break something, repair it, rebuild, fabricate, and it's it's a bigger it's bigger pro- expense. proper race team stuff, isn't it? When you go to that size. Definitely, yep. like our race team now, it's it's only you know it's only we've only really got a small team and and you know on the outside it looks like we've got a massive budget, but we we don't really you know we're still still quite controlled. Where to have a UTV, you can do it in your garage, mm. garage in a trailer. Yep, yep, that's right. And then if you want to win, you start to evolve. But you know, like you can, the average person can go quite well in a a relatively stock. Um, car with a roll cage, like a side by side with just a roll cage and all the cam safety equipment. So that's going to be the biggest growth factor for the next five years in the sport. Yeah, it's yeah. just the way that they'll they'll evolve. Hey? Well, for us to move forward in Australia, they need to bring in an unlimited class. Yep. 
So, you know, they need to allow these big unlimited trucks that we've got in America to race in Australia because they bring in the sponsors, they bring in the crowds, they bring in the noise, they bring in the excitement. They bring the stuff people want to see. They bring what everyone wants to see. Um, not just what the driver wants because whatever we race, we're going to have fun. As a driver, you could race a Mini or a Hyundai XL yep. or anything and you're going to have fun. It doesn't matter. But the crowds don't really want to go and see a race where they can't even hear the car and, no. and you know, it just all, all looks plain and boring. Um, so to create that extra stimulation, they need to open up the rules and run unlimited trucks and cars and that way anyone that doesn't fit inside a rule can go into to that class do you think if if they did that we'd see more americans come over 100 percent. it happened straight away 100 percent. to do things like think and whatnot definitely mm. we'd, we'd have like over there um the amount of people that come up to us and go oh we'd love to come over and do that finky but they call it the finky <laughs> <laughs> um but you know we sort of can't really because none of our gear fits in the class because we're so restricted and can't do anything and six litre, you can't even buy a six litre motor anymore. Um, so we're restricted. So our class and our rules are favoured to our pro buggies. Mm. So a pro buggy um, is, is just the, the weapon of choice in Australia because that's the way the rules are created. It's dictated from that. Yeah. So is there six litre capacity, max capacity here? Yep. Mm. Yep. So six litre or a three and a half litre turbo. Yep. So we've got a three-and-a-half-litre twin-turbo Nissan motor with 1,000 horsepower or a six-litre with 500 horsepower. What are you going to pick? <laughs> it doesn't make much sense, does it? <laughs> <laughs> but if you could come in with a 454 twin-turbo option, yeah, perfect. Yeah, and you probably still wouldn't compete against um, you know these pro buggies and that, but you're bringing the sponsors, you're bringing the excitement in, you're bringing yep. something into the sport. So yeah, our pro buggy weighs 1,500 kilos and it's 1,000 horsepower. Oh, um, crap. Where even with a pro, like a trophy truck at 1,000, you know, 1,200 horsepower, um, they're still two and a half, three tonnes, so their, their acceleration's still a lot slower. Mm, the power to weight's a long difference, a big difference compared. Yeah, so in return, everyone's making their cars in Australia really light uh, because we're not allowed to have horsepower or yep. we're not allowed to have big motors, so they're making everything light, taking safety away. Mm. Uh, where our trucks in the States, they're, they're built out of big tube. They're, they're big, heavy-duty trucks. So if you've got a safer chassis, roll cage, everything like that, you're going to have a, a much better opportunity for safe, long-term safety than what you would be going lighter, 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 less horsepower. Yeah, that's yep. right. Makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, having something bigger and stronger and and, and that, it, it's there's a number of reasons why it's so much better is because it lasts longer. You don't yep. have to work on it as much. Yep. Um, and it'll hold together and you'll finish more races. Mm. Where at the moment, everyone's making everything light. Yep. We're making billet hubs and uprights. And, you know, that's that's a 500-kilometre a racing part. So we're replacing wow. them every 500 kilometres, yep. um, adding to the expense where if you had a heap of horsepower, you just make big, strong, beefy ones that would yep. just last you a lifetime. It doesn't make much sense. A lot of things in motorsport don't, but um, that yeah. doesn't make much sense, does it? Yeah, I, I believe there's got to be restrictions, but they do. If Australia wants to move up 
in in line themselves with the rest of the world, like America and yep. and Mexico and even New Zealand. Um, they need to just open up an unlimited class, I believe. And I've got a lot of support. A lot of people want want that as well. Yep. Be great to see some of the American vehicles here. Well, then you get the crowds. You would straight away. You know, that's I'd want to go and see a thirteen hundred horsepower truck. Yeah, you know, that's so right. Full so, scale truck. So the average person would, you know, jump in a car and drive two to three hours to go and see one of these events that's out at St George, and take their families and and take them out, yep. um, you know, for to see those at for trucks sure. and that, and you, all of a sudden you're spending money in that town and you're camping and. You know, you're buying four-wheel drive, you're buying tyres, you know, yep. you're putting suspension king shocks in your car and it's just going to evolve it. BFG tyres. Yeah, BFG tyres, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just going to evolve yep. everything rather than now, oh, sit at home and play on the iPad, you know, mm. just what can you do? So it's off-roading needs that excitement in the sport. And seeing off-road, like hanging around you guys a little bit and some of the stuff I've done with Carla lately and that and down at Off-Road Rush with Chris, yep. it's a family sport too. Yes. Like it's a, the family is like the team in a lot of the other sort of ones. So it is a proper family sport too. Definitely. You know, you go there and, and there's kids running around yep. in the pits and it's it reminds me of the old school days. Mm. It's fun. Like you know, the, the, nuts. the kids go and get dirty. Let them go and get dirty. Now yep. now everyone's sort of dressed up in, you know, cotton wool and can't <laughs> do this, can't even get dirty. Yep. Uh, let the kids go and be kids and, and let them play around. Normally on every, every off-road event, um, there'd be at least a group of six kids running around all become friends. They've never mm. met each other. All of a sudden they're at the race and next thing you know they're running around. Figured it out. Working shit out. Yep, they figured it out. And nighttime drags, all the stuff that happens too. Yeah, the nighttime drags are pretty fun. Yeah, I reckon that'd be good. I'm spewing on Miss St George. We, um, I was away racing and uh, it looked like a good one. Yeah, St George was fun. That what, was such a good event. What do you think of Don River? Don River was unreal. Mm. Uh, I believe that um, Don River will overtake uh, the the Fink as the iconic race of Australia. That's pretty cool, eh? Yeah, that's that's a big call, but um, just the way that logistically for yep. for Fink, it's for the driver and and the navvy. Yep. And the team, the rest, of, logistically, it's hard. You know, you got to go down there. It's it's a big effort. It's such an awesome race, but it's it's logistically hard. Yep. A race like Don River, you set up once, you're there for the week, yep. and you go in the river and you race pretty much from from pit. And the race itself is unreal. Mm. So the speed, you know, the, the overtaking cars, the width of the river, people unreal. Can, people would see pretty well. Yeah. Definitely love Don River. It's so good. Yeah, speaking to a few people, that seems to be their opinion. That yeah. That's going to be the premium off-road event. Yeah, I, that'll that'll step it up for sure. What do you see yourself in the next few years? What else you got coming up? Um, so Brett and I talk a fair bit, and, um, yeah, we've got some pretty big plans. So yep. we're, we're actually building a, a new pro buggy right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to get into that. Um and that pro buggy is going to have a Honda NSX uh, twin turbo motor in it. What were they? A three and a half liter. Yeah, three three and a half liter. Yeah. So that's the real deal. That's, that's a cool motor. That's amazing. They that'll have a different sound. Yeah. Um, so we're building that. That's going to be a replica of our our Jimco over here, but with a, a different motor. So it'll almost be identical car. And then yeah, hopefully we'll be racing in January in the states, going back for King of the Hammer. Uh, King of the Hammers, Parker, 
and a couple of other races in the States in January. You guys are so lucky to get those in this year. You must have just scraped it in, hey? Yeah, only just. Well, when they introduced the lockdown, we flew in the day before. So Was that close? That's how close. Well, we cut our holiday short. We, okay. Well, not our holiday. We cut our trip short. Yep. Um, they said get home, so we, we changed our flights and got home straight away. Yeah, I knew it was pretty close, but uh, at least you had a plan around it. Yeah, yeah. And that, then we did our own quarantine. We come home and just at, then it was home quarantine. We we got tested as soon as we got off the, off the plane. Yeah. And um and sat around the house for two weeks. Yep. Well, we didn't really sit around. We sort of just went to the garage, built race cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've got a good place to do that anyway. Yeah. You know, to be able to sit there and you've got everything you need to be. You know, so. Yeah, definitely. Well, mate. We've done probably a couple of hours or an hour and a half or something. So oh yeah, it's been awesome. forty, mate. So thank you so much once again for coming in, mate. It's uh, yeah, you've you've done everything. <laughs> you, yeah, like right. without saying you're, you're the guy that's done everything, you're like the jack of all trades of motorsport, really, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. I've I've done lots of things. I I haven't really pushed the social media side like crazy and and that and so there's a lot of few people a lot of people out there that don't really know who i am but i've been behind the scenes yep. for forever you know helping lots of people over the years so yeah love it and you don't need to push it like you're doing it that's you right. know i think that's the thing like you're actually out there you're the one that's doing the stuff so it's cool to see yep proven to myself that it can be done you know with hard work everything it, it pays off well mate thanks for that um yeah we'll catch up Awesome. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's been unreal. No worries, mate. Cheers. Cheers.